0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, the heartbreak continues in the hammer as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beat the Cats to win the 108th Grey Cup last night. We're going to recap that and give some analysis. Ontario says they will offer all adults who are six months past their second dose a booster shot of the COVID-19 vaccine starting on January the 4th. However, with the threat of Omicron, should that be offered sooner? And according to a recent poll, a majority of Ontarians feel that Doug Ford has failed us in his pandemic response. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Myro Public Opinion, will join us to discuss the details. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. Yesterday, a heartbreaking loss for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Oh, so close. But when it was all over, the Winnipeg Blue Mars beat the Cats 33-25 to, to win the 108th Grey Cup on TSN. Oh! The CFL was put on hold, and the Blue Bombers are the best now. Rod Smith with the call on TSN, uh, the TV broadcast yesterday, of course. Uh, heartbreaking loss in overtime for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, a lot of reflection, uh, maybe some second guessing. Well, a lot of second guessing, I guess, going on among Tiger Cat fans. Uh, so let's uh, go through the entrails of what was left after the game yesterday and talk about this. So pleased to welcome our uh, good friend Justin Dunk to the program. Justin, of course, is the founder of of three down nation a sports anchor at chch uh justin first of all uh thanks so much for the time it's been a hectic uh, 24 hours or so uh and uh i i I, of course my you know bleeding black and gold here i've got tiger cat thoughts going on right now but i i I get it when people say hey it was a great game anytime there's a close game that goes into overtime it, it has that sense of drama to it but it's you know, as I look back on this, and you as a former player, I guess, gonna relate to this. It's not necessarily that you lost. That's bad enough. But how they lost, I think, is something that's going to stick with high-cat fans for a long time.
1: It will, for sure. And it's going to stick with the players. When the coaching staff and the athletes review the film, I don't know how soon that's going to be because the loss stings. But they're going to see so many opportunities there where they had a chance to win the game. put it away I mean 22 10 in the fourth quarter of a Grey Cup at home where you have your crowd behind you there was a lot of people in that building I'm sure amongst the fans it felt like the game was over that the Ticats were gonna win but you knew at least as an analyst or a person that follows the CFL closely that that's the quarter that the Blue Bombers have dominated this year especially so that was key in swinging the ball game. And then, of course, there's all these little plays that you're going to look at and say, if we just made one play here, don't give up a single a couple times, for example, the Cats win the game.
0: Yeah, I've got a list <laughs> of, of all those plays. Uh, and I was making the list as we were going along and said, oh, I hope that doesn't come back and bite them. And it did in each case. And uh, the wind was going to be a factor. I mean, you know, we all saw the wind on Saturday. I thought, oh, God, I hope we don't have to play in that. Well, it was still pretty breezy yesterday. And, and you're right, it did have, a, a, I think, an, a, an influence on the outcome, especially uh, when you looked at the kicking game uh, that was going on here. And, and that's those single points, I mean, we we love that's part of the great you know, part of Canadian football is the rouge, uh, although I'm not crazy about the idea. Uh, but there were three single points the Cats gave up there. One was a, a, a punt, uh, and, and again, Winnipeg had the, the wind at their backs, and they were punting on third down. And, and Unger was back there as the punt returner. Only one guy back. And I said, what the heck's going on? And he seemed, he seemed to be standing on the hash marks over on one side of the field. So the guy, he just punted the ball to the other side and it went right all the way. He had to run 50 yards to get to where the ball was going to be. And there's a single point. You're, the other one was when Tim White just plain blew the ball, went right through his hands and through the end zone. And then let's let's talk about that one point where they he dropped to a knee and gave a point. When they're down by two and a chance to win it with a field goal going down the field, uh, I, I can't ask you, I guess, Justin, to get into uh, the coach's head about exactly why they made a decision like that, but it was a head-scratcher.
1: It certainly was, and I don't necessarily know if it was the coaches telling him to take a knee, but the prevailing thought there for me, and you mentioned it, that all three singles came when the Bombers had the wind, So mm-hmm. you can just look at this situation and say, well, you should have seen if the ball was going to bounce out of the back of the end zone because of how far it was kicked. And I don't want to make excuses necessarily, but Tim White is an American rookie who hasn't returned a ton this year. And in that situation, he's probably thinking it's American football. And if I take a knee, well, we just get it, you know, out at the 20 or in Canadian football, at least to 35. So they need to be well aware of those rules. But in the moment you might not necessarily be thinking of it. So that would be my guess, at least, as to what happened with White.
0: Well, and your point's well taken. First of all, he's an American. You're right. That's his first full year in the league. Uh, And that's not his job. I mean, Poppy White was supposed to be back there. He seemed to be missing an awful lot of those plays. I don't know if he was banged up. Uh, recurring injury or something he missed a good deal of the second quarter and came back but uh, then you saw Unger and you saw Tim white back there and that's that as you say that's not their role so I don't know if they were well coached or if they actually understood what was going on Unger of course does he's a Canadian kid so he understood that but that that was devastating when that happened uh, and, and you, you figure in hindsight uh, which is what we tried to do in football of course you know could have would have should have uh, but had they gone down which they did go down and, and kick a field goal that that's game over at that point.
1: It would have been, exactly. And I'm sure a lot of Ticats fans, and I heard it last night when I was leaving the field and trying to get down to the field post game. They're all saying, why did we give up the single? We were in a position to win the football game with a field goal. It made no sense. The math to everybody in the stands was very clear. But you have, obviously, mostly Canadians and mostly Hamiltonians in the stands that know the CFL game very well. Bill, You know how knowledgeable the fans are, and that mm-hmm. was the talk. Coming down the elevator, people were upset that you would just give up a point in a gray cup in a tight game when you had the opportunity to go down the field. So it's hard to understand as a fan. I get it. You're very emotional. You just lost. You're going to pick it apart. But also, you pointed that out. Pappy White has been the main returner for this team for the majority of the season. And when you put other guys back there, they're not going to be comfortable in terms of making those quick decisions. And they're going to revert to what they're used to doing in those
0: situations. And you may well be right about you know, the the American attitude of a touchback. Uh, people don't understand the difference between and the American football. If you take a knee like that, no points, you just get the ball back uh, with no damage done. Because there was nobody near him uh, when he made, when he conceded that point. You know, it's not as if, oh my God, they're all coming at me right now. Uh, He he had a good 20, 25 yards, uh, and who knows what would have happened. I mean, because the blockers and everything else, who put the the run, but it didn't make sense because it's not as if he was being challenged to to get out of the end zone.
1: That's right. There was nobody near him. And to me, it was very surprising to see him drop to a knee because, as you mentioned, even if you bring it out, you know, 20, 25 yards, that's worth. The point. So you got to get the ball out of there as far as you can. Make sure you keep it a two point game so that a field goal wins it. We saw that Jeremiah Massoli was largely hot for the majority of the time that he came in for Dane Evans. There were spurts, obviously, where the Bombers defense got him, but Mm -hmm. 10 yards isn't a big deal in that situation, and it's certainly not worth giving up a point.
0: Earlier, I want to talk about something else, too. Another decision uh, where they went for a field goal. They were down on the two-yard line. It was third down, to be sure. But they, they could have got a first down without even going into the end zone. Uh, and I know conventional wisdom in football is you always take the points. But the way they had driven down the field, you figured, gee, and they were they seemed to be running the ball pretty well up the middle against the Bombers. Uh, I know it's, a, it's always a gutsy decision to say, okay, we're going to go for it on third down. But had they done that and scored a touchdown, I, I don't think Winnipeg comes back.
1: Probably not, but the opposite side of that I think is what you have to balance, right? And I'm sure that's what Orlando Steiner thought. Well, if we don't get points here, then our lead stays the same and we give Winnipeg some momentum. So in my mind, that's why they decide to kick the field goal, extend the lead, keep that energy flowing on your side. So I understand that decision. It's really the singles that are more perplexing to me.
0: Let's talk about some of the guys. We talked about Poppy White missing part of the game, and we still don't exactly know exactly what was going on there. There were some injuries. Uh, Dane Evans, of course, uh, went out in the first half with a head injury, neck injury, it appeared, uh, and never came back. Uh, He wasn't that that effective to begin with. He was not playing up to Dane Evans' potential. Uh, Who knows what could have happened, what it could have, should have, but Mazzoli, I thought, did an admirable job in coming in there. And Like you say, there were some Mazzoli moments where he threw the ball when he probably shouldn't and things like that, but... Uh, by and large, he, you know, he, especially that last drive where he got them down the field for the tying field goal, uh, you you got to give him some credit. But there were some other guys that were missing, and they had to make some changes in the secondary. Uh, Ted Laurent's uh, absence is really what really motivated an awful lot of these changes, and that kind of affected the Canadian-American ratio. Was that a factor in the game, do you think, Justin?
1: Not so much Ted Laurent being out, because I think they did a really great job against Andrew Harris, but... It's what you said, the other changes that they had to make. With all due respect, guys have a lot of upside that were playing those positions, but Stavros Constantinous, a rookie at free safety, if you're Zach Caleros, a veteran quarterback, on the other side and you're thinking, I got a first-year dude playing at safety, I can move him around with my eyes, that's a bonus. I'm sure Caleros was licking his jobs going in at the game even though he didn't play up to his MLP level for most of the ball game, but was there when they needed it most. And then you have Tunde Adeleke, and field halfback, he did make some plays, but also it's a really difficult position to slide over to. And I don't care if he's American or Canadian. That really means nothing to me. But it's a difficult spot to play. If you haven't played it a lot, and Adelecki doesn't have a ton of experience there because you've got a lot of field to gov- cover. Normally you get one of the top slot backs on the other team, and then you've got to be – physical against the run now that was not necessarily an issue in terms of slowing down harris but there were moments there where adeleke got beat clearly and it was something that the bombers went to in my mind late in the game to get that comeback
0: well exactly and that's what i was thinking as we were going down there when they finally kicked the field goal that that i maintained they probably should have gone for the touchdown but that's good it's it's basically the coach was sending a message saying i think my defense can hold these guys uh we're going to be fine well they didn't they went right down the field and scored a touchdown after that and a lot of that as you mentioned was right over the middle uh and and that's right where those two guys are playing and uh, I think they're both very good football players but you're saying that both of them were playing out of position uh and Caleros I think zeroed in on that during that that very important drive that, that, that actually put them ahead at that stage
1: certainly that's where they were going to go because they felt like the matchups were best for them and it's no slight on their abilities, right? It's just the experience. No, of course not. You have Caleros, who has been in this league for you know nearly a decade, and you got a rookie at free safety in Katzantanis, who has a lot of potential, certainly, and you have Adeleke playing out of position. Adeleke playing at safety is a much different conversation, right? He's used to reading quarterbacks and coming downhill and using his athleticism that we've seen flashed a number of times to break up passes, make interceptions and be physical as well. Like Adeleke is a dude on the field and that's the highest respect that any competitors can pay him. But when you put a rookie in there at safety in the biggest football game of the year, Caleros is going to be looking over there saying I can manipulate this guy with my eyes. And in my mind, you mentioned there were a lot of passes across the middle to get that comeback going. That's where they went The Nick Dembski touchdown is
0: a perfect example, right? He juked yeah. two
1: tie cats and goes straight down Broadway to help that Bombers comeback.
0: What's going to happen with this football team now? There's the distraction about the rumor that started late last week, of course, that Orlando Steinhauer may be leaving the football team and going to the University of Washington as a defensive coordinator. A lot of money on the table if that were to happen. They didn't deny it. Uh, they just seem to kind of shove it aside. I, 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 first question about that, is that a distraction for the team, That you know, getting into a, a preparation for a big game like this, to think, of, hey, maybe the coach isn't even going to be with us after today?
1: It could be. And to be quite honest, I think Orlando Steinauer commands a lot of respect, obviously from the players and everybody in the organization, but also the media. So it wasn't out there as much because of the respect that I believe Steinauer has so he could have been asked about it during the week, but to be quite honest, even though they lost the game, I felt like it was a question that had to be asked. I was the one that asked Steinauer post game. Now you could tell by his reaction, and I'm sort of guessing here, but I don't think he liked it. And he essentially said, Hey, we just lost a great cup, man, but you said it. He didn't outright deny it. He said, Essentially, I'm focused on where my feet are, but he didn't say that no, I'm not going. University of Washington and when you look at the connection there with Kalen DeBoer who's now the head coach he was the offensive coordinator at Fresno State University the year that Steinauer was a defensive coordinator it makes a lot of sense right Steinauer was born in Seattle he played his high school football at Linwood High School which is about 30 minutes outside of the city there he played his NCAA football at Western Washington University so it would be a homecoming of sorts for him but it could certainly be a distraction because speculation and the rumors were out there during gray cup week and if you're the tiger cats players you're going well we're going in the biggest game of the season and you know it sounds like based on a lot of legitimate reporters talking about it me included that our coach could be leaving so i don't necessarily think that was the reason that they lost the game and gave up that comeback but it was probably something that entered the player's mind at some point
0: well and that that's only one element of this too. Sean Burke, the guy, a very capable uh, player personnel guy and assistant general manager, uh, may be on the move as well. Of course, there's a lot of football teams looking for help in the front office, and and Burkey's got a great reputation as a, as a talent scout. So who knows? I mean, it could be a much different football team that uh, that goes to uh, to practice next year.
1: It could be. And I wrote about this for Three Down Nation. Yeah, on Sunday that was a lead piece. Right, the changes that I should preface it could happen right we're not saying a guy like burke is going to leave but he's coveted around the league he was in line and interviewed for the montreal alouette's gm job a couple years ago so it's a guy that's been part of this ticats team that produced a franchise best record 15 and 3 in 2019 and helped this team get to the great cup he's been there for a number of years and is well respected around the league you look at the quarterbacks Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans. Well, Evans was on a bargain rate contract, which was the reason the Ticats could re-sign Masoli for about $350,000 for the 2021 season. It's going to be prorated, obviously, because of the 14 Mm -hmm. games. But still, the reason that they could have both of them on the team was Evans' bargain rate contract. That's not going to happen anymore. right? There's going to be teams around the league that covet both of those guys, and unless those quarterbacks are willing to take less to come back to the Ticats, then it's hard just from a financial perspective to see them on the roster together again.
0: Well, there's a lot going to be happening in the, the days and weeks ahead after uh, the disappointing loss, which is why uh, we direct everybody to go. Three Down Nation uh, is is the webpage you want to go to, to find out everything that's happening in the Canadian Football League. Uh, Justin, as always, thanks so much for this. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Justin Dunk, founder of Three Down Nation, sports anchor, of course, at CHCH you're listening
1: to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml
0: there is growing concern about the uh, omicron variant that uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago now the number of new cases is growing considerably and uh well the government's trying to respond to this ontario residents age 50 and older can now book covid 19 booster doses starting this morning as long as six months have passed since you got that second shot steve henniger has the details The Provincial Vaccine Booking Portal opens for appointments at 8 o'clock this morning. People can also book shots by phone through local public health units using their own booking systems and in some pharmacies and primary care clinics. Booster eligibility will open up to all adults on January 4th, maybe even sooner if capacity allows. Today is also the deadline for long-term care workers in the province to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Staff, students and volunteers cannot enter long-term care homes without proof of both doses. Steve Henninger, the Canadian Press, Toronto. So let's talk a little bit and analyze how the government is responding here in the province of Ontario. And to do that, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program Thomas Tenkate, who is a professor at the School of Occupational Health and Public Health at Ryerson University. Uh, Professor, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. Appreciate you joining us.
2: Uh, Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it.
0: A couple of things, let's talk first of all about the vaccination and the announcement uh, that Dr. Moore made late last week about uh, uh, boosters now for people 50 and and older, uh, lowering the bar a little bit so more people can be included in that, uh, which sounds on the surface like a really good idea, given what we're dealing with Omicron here. The other side of that, though, is people are saying, well, wait a second here, if this is as dangerous as some people are suggesting, uh, should we make this all inclusive or do we need to wait that extra six months? How important is that?
2: Yeah, so so definitely, I think the booster is is now you know initially we were sort of saying well maybe only for the people in the highest risk, but I think uh, the the evidence now is that we really need to sort of roll it out uh, more broadly, and you know, and I think you know initially when we started the whole vaccine program, there you know we we were sort of expecting that there would be some sort of booster coming at some point, uh, uh-huh. and and I think you know now you know we we're at the point where, yeah, I think it's a more wider spread uh, sort of rollout. Uh, But, you know, I think that's, it's sort of, you know, from a broader public health perspective, you know, like uh, if we think about this as a global pandemic, we, we also have to, think about uh, what's the impact on other countries if we you know taking up extra doses and those other countries aren't able to to get the doses so 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 it's like I I definitely agree that we we need to sort of be rolling out the booster doses here but we also have to be sort of stepping up and helping other countries who are having trouble even getting their first dose rolled out as well
0: maybe we could just uh remind our listeners about the importance of the and the efficacy of the vaccine itself I mean I've had my second shot I'm not Scheduled to to get the booster until just after Christmas, I guess, according to uh, looking at the dates on my sheets here. Uh, Mm. How important is it to have that time delay in between that six month time delay?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, at at the moment, that's what the, you know, what, what we were. Uh, requesting is that that uh, that there is this six month delay, and I think by the what what they're sort of saying is that the uh, you know by that time you you know the the booster is you you, you retain the effectiveness is. Of the original two doses is uh, still at a at a at a good point, but but you know the, the 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 effectiveness starts to drop off more dramatically after that six months. So so it's really saying you know your your, your level of protection is 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 good up for, for six months after your second dose, but it starts to really drop off after that. And so so that's why we're sort of saying don't give it too soon, but don't give it too late as well for, for the for the booster.
0: How concerned are you right now, Professor, with uh, with o- Omicron and, and the way it's growing? I mean, you know, in, within the space of about a week, it's gone to, yeah, there are a few cases of this too. Uh, now some predictions by uh, other folks at, at the science table that this could actually be the dominant variant within the next couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, yes. You know, I think, you know, the, there's the characteristics of the um, Omicron uh uh, virus because of the way it's uh because of its in inbuilt characteristics and, and the, the mutations that it has means that it is able to be transmitted more easily. Uh, and so so that's it's not a you know it's not unexpected that it will start to take off. And the like in some ways I'm I'm sort of I was you know reasonably concerned initially when uh, about you know well if it's easy more easily transmitted will people get sicker as well and and at this stage we're not seeing that translation to to uh, you know, people getting uh, more serious illness at this stage, but but I suppose the you know rea- reality is that the more cases you have, the you know statistically you'll then have more more cases going being hospitalised as well. So so the good thing is at this stage it's not you know that that the the, the, uh, the better transmissibility of it isn't also linking to making people sicker as well. So so uh, but longer term you know more cases means more people in hospital as well.
0: But some physicians I've talked to and some experts I've talked to, uh, I, I still have a discomfort with making that direct line between a number of ICU patients, number of admissions to hospital uh, and the severity mm-hmm. of, of the spread here, suggesting that look at you know yes, that's that's important, that's an important statistic. Uh, but until, uh, but I, I've also heard some doctors say, "Look, well, okay, well, those numbers haven't really gone up significantly, so maybe we're not in as much trouble as we thought." And others are saying, "Well, yes, we are. <laughs> Don't wait for it to happen. We need to be proactive on this." What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Professor?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think we need to be proactive in regard to trying to keep the cases as low as possible. Uh, you know that when we think about, you know, like the good thing is that at this stage it doesn't seem to be making people. Uh, yes, you know, sick enough to to be hospitalised. So, so the hospitalisation numbers are remaining stable at this stage. But, but basically, you know, if you look at the proportion of people being hospitalised to the number of cases, that that will sort of more cases will mean more people in hospital. But wh- I think you know one of the things that we we sort of uh, don't really know much as enough about just yet is the sort of the longer term impacts of, of of COVID. And so, so just because someone uh, isn't sick enough to go to hospital, right? You know, in, as an, in an acute phase. we, you know, what what's the potential longer term impacts as well? And so, so ultimately, we want to try and keep the cases down, just be, just because we're not sure of those potential longer term impacts as well.
0: And and this. Uh, to a certain extent I guess means we're flying blind because uh, we're kind of learning as we go along here uh, especially with the new variant with the Omicron variant uh, I think you and I've had the discussion probably a couple of months ago now professor about what they call long haulers in other words as you mentioned people uh, that have symptoms well beyond uh, what, what the average person of two or three weeks is if they do get the virus to have a positive result uh, is there a concern right now that Omicron might actually make that a more difficult situation right now because it is a different variant?
2: Uh, I think we're still waiting to see what you know what's going on. Uh, you know, we haven't had a long enough to sort of see what the longer term impacts are. But uh, you know, definitely, you know, given the the, the mutations uh, on on the, the the virus on the on the spike protein, uh, you know, you. you leads us to think that there you know there could could be that uh, and so because of that you know we also always want to be precautionary when we approach this something like this and so so that's i, su- I suppose that's that's the, what we're trying to do with this and uh, and that's really the best way to go
0: are we going to learn from history <laughs> we're heading into the christmas <laughs> season the holiday season Uh, And I know that uh, that many folks have told us now, look, we've got to be cautious about this. Uh, You know, we we, I guess it's inevitable that people are going to get together over the holiday season, although uh, we're again being reminded that if you're going to get into a group, make sure it's a small group, 10 or less people is the number that I've heard at this stage. But it seems as if all, there's almost an inevitability here that look, at there's going to be a spike in January because we're going to get together, we're going to be indoors, and the possibility of this spreading rapidly over the holiday season is real. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you think that we're in for tougher times uh, when we get into January and see some of these numbers?
2: Uh, well, like I think that yeah, the predictions are that that's what we, what to expect. I think you know we you know at this stage you know all my sense is that that we are going to see the numbers keep rising and and when i you know i suppose you talk about you know sort of learning from history when i you know i've looked at the the latest data and the, the trends over time and and basically the 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 sort of the slope of the the curve that we're seeing now is starting you know starting to be very steep and and is reminiscent of the previous two uh you know, peaks that we've had. And so so I suppose from that perspective, you know, if we've already seen two peaks that have had these very steep rises, and now we're already at the start of something that's already having the same sort of steep rise, you know, I, I think we need to be uh you know learn from from that and say let let's take this seriously and and try and try and do what we can to uh you know uh you know heed the warnings in regard to uh you know in indoor activity. Indoor uh, gatherings and and you know and, and just you know let let's sort of just sort of take those steps and and uh, you know while we can because uh, you know if we like I don't think we if, if we have the same sort of peak that we've had previously I don't think we'll be in the same situation because of because of the the large you know the the vaccination rate and so so the the longer term impacts or, or the impacts uh, on the healthcare system probably won't be as great but. But we will still probably see that same number of uh, you know, high number of cases. So, so that's always of a concern.
0: Are you worried about COVID fatigue? And I I don't mean the fatigue that COVID actually causes to the body. I'm talking about people just saying enough already with the masks, enough already with the social distancing. I mean, I'm I'm hearing more and more of that. And we're going to talk a little bit later on in the program about a study that uh, was just done that indicates that a lot of people are just saying, look, that's it. It's it's going to be part of our lives. Let's just try to get on and pretend it's business as usual. Uh, I, I, I don't share that opinion, but I know an awful lot of people do.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Definitely. Uh, you know, we're we're sort of getting close to sort of two years of 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 the of the pandemic here, uh, and so, you know, and 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 I, you know, I I hear you, and and I hear, you know, a lot of people are, are saying, yeah, yeah, we're over it all. Let's just move on. Let's just accept that it's the way it is. But and and uh, and, and I think you know we we have to agree we have to sort of realize that longer term th- this will be with us for for a long period of time the issue is can we keep the case numbers down as low as possible so that so the impacts on 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 uh on the community are uh, are as less as possible and so so it's really you know i i don't think it's going to go away but 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 we also want to try and you know minimize the impacts uh that we will have in in this short term and so so from that perspective i think uh you know the, from a government perspective, and, and the way the way that the sort of the rollouts of things, the, we, we we're probably like you know you have to sort of say well you know which which way do they go? Do they become you know sort of more of a stick approach or more of a carrot approach? And I I think that we. You know the the stick approach is probably not going to work because people are are really you know like you say really tired and and uh, and uh, of, of it all and, and just want to get on with things. So so we really got to I think appeal to to people's sort of uh, you know uh, best nature and say let let's sort of hang in there together and and let's let's sort of uh, you know keep keep moving forward and, and and really encouraging people to to you know with, with the with the, these various measures that we've, we've been talking about and, and, uh, and that, you know, and, and that includes, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the rapid testing and, you know, making that more available, you know, taking, taking away barriers for, for rapid testing and, uh, and, and, and just doing a whole range of things to make it easier for people to, to do the right thing at this time.
0: I'm glad you brought the testing up. That's something that uh, a lot of people are concerned about. We talked about it initially uh, in the early stages, the first wave, I suppose, uh, Professor, uh, that that was essential, that testing had to be. We've kind of fallen off the the, the table a little bit with that, and, and all of a sudden now... Uh, it seems as if government's finally started to get the message that maybe all those tests that we ordered that are sitting in warehouses someplace should be distributed. How important is it in tracking this, especially over the holiday season, uh, to do that? I know that, for instance, as you know, the the Minister of Education here in the province is sending these home with kids over the holidays so that they can do the rapid tests at home. Uh, should we be initiating a policy like that in workplaces, for instance, for those people that are back to work? Should, should it be something that we should be putting more emphasis on?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think that the the rapid testing is a is an additional measure that that I think is a, an effective one, and uh, by rolling it out and making it uh, you know making it free and making it much more available is, is a good good option because because by you know so like I know some people talk about the the false positives uh with, with that and and you know does that uh, sort of burden the uh you know further further testing the, the more advanced testing but but i think you know what it what it uh whereas what it does is it, it it at least gives us a chance to sort of identify people who are asymptomatic uh you know much earlier in the system uh before they you know sort of uh you know before there's potentially spreading uh you know and infecting a lot lot more people and so so i think uh you know the rapid testing is is for for where we're at now will will be an important uh component of the overall prevention program. And so so to make so from that perspective, I think it it should be more widely uh widely more widely available and and for fruit you know for free. Uh and I know there's been a lot of questions about, you know, sort of uh costs and and whatever. I think think, you know, it's a it's a valid thing for the for the government to be uh to be uh, paying for and making sure that it's as widely and freely available as possible.
0: Exactly. Well, we'll uh, see how the government responds to this in the the days ahead uh, as these numbers continue to rise. Uh, Professor, always great to get your perspective on this. Thank you so much for the time today. Pleasure having you on the show.
2: Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you. Thank you very much
0: take care professor thomas ten kate who is a professor at the school of occupational and public health at ryerson university keeping track of those numbers and uh, i'm glad he brought this up about the well it's a controversy really about testing and who should be paying for it uh and uh, one of the major pharmacies is uh, getting a little bit of heat for that and we'll explain that a little bit later on in the program
1: you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml
0: we are seeing more cases of the COVID 19 variant omicron of course popping up in canada the majority are here in Ontario. Uh, most Canadians, though, say they don't plan on making any major changes to their routines. Uh, Global's Tina Dr. Janney, has the details.
1: You've seen this phrase printed on coffee mugs, T-shirts, posters. Keep calm and carry on. Well, it appears the majority of Canadians will be doing just that. With what we know so far about Omicron, some scientists say at this point there's nothing to show that it's any deadlier than previous strains. 54% of Canadians say they're not concerned they will contract this new variant, according to a new poll by Maru Public Opinion. Same numbers say they're just going to go about their daily lives as normal. When asked if they were staying home more because of Omicron, just over 60% said no. They're not scrapping any in-person grocery shopping or heading out for essentials. An equal amount say current vaccines or people's own immunity will protect them. And 51% did not agree with the statement the variant is being underestimated and will be both highly contagious and more deadly. Tina Trajani, Global News.
0: John Wright is the uh, executive VP of uh, My Republic Opinion, uh, who conducted this survey that Tina was just talking about. And uh, John joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Uh, John, welcome back to the program. Good to have you on the show today.
3: Great to be with you, Bill.
0: Let me ask you about this, because this poll that you guys have done here really shows, I think, a change in attitude. And as you and I have been talking about, well, for the last, I guess, almost 20, 20-odd months now, uh, Canadians were, by and large, pretty uh, uh, agreeable with the way the governments were handling this, the federal and their own provincial governments, saying, you know, what this, it's what needs to be done. It has to be a lockdown, a lockdown. There's a, a change in attitude reflected in these numbers that you found, isn't there?
3: Well, this was a poll which I did actually a week ago today. So I don't know whether it's changed, uh, you know, in that span of time. But there were a few things that were interesting about it. Number one, 97% of Canadians, of which 86%, are are totally aware of what's going on with the with this virus variant. And I think that speaks volumes to the fact that we've learned a lot and we follow everything very, very closely. It's not as if, you know, the politicians and doctors are telling us stuff for the first time. We've been involved in this for you know, 20 or more months, and uh, everybody is talking about it. Everybody knows what's going on. It affects our daily lives. So based on that and based on the fact that we've got, you know, 90% of the people in this province, I guess, uh, with vaccinations, people are aware of the consequences of not having it. And the public actually is, I think the body politic is taking it as you and I would think they should, and that is we know certain things have come out of South Africa with the findings uh, that we're, um, first announced there, we had an immediate shields up around the world. In fact, Bill, I can't recall a time in my lifetime um, where uh, a snap decision is being made and bang, you know, every country around the world uh, that has access to the internet is suddenly shields up, bans coming into place, uh, lockdowns at airports happening, everything was is up. And then there's this pause where people are going, well, what does it mean? Well, the Moderna... Uh, president comes out and says, this is going to be far more serious than we think it it is. And we're going to have to have more vaccines. The Pfizer guys a few days later. Well, I don't know yet. You know, it may be that we can cover it off. We see a, a delay saying, doctors saying, you know, we're going to have to wait and see what the actual impact is. And we see infections rising, but we don't necessarily see hospitalization cases and ICUs rising. So there's two things going on here. I think the public is very tuned into this, and half of them at least are saying, look, when I hear the the actual verdict on this, then I'll make my decisions. The other half are taking stock. They're being a little more proactive about it. But everybody is waiting for whatever decision, but more importantly, they're trying to figure out what numbers they should believe. Is is the fact that we have 1,500 cases today versus 1,400 yesterday and 1,600 the day before, is this a case where we should be alarmed? Or is it a case where we look at the ICUs and see that the increase is marginal? Is it a wave before it hits? So I think it's prudent, and I think the the public is acting as a reasonable person would.
0: So with that in mind, and, and, and we need to be clear about this. So this, this is not a group of people that just say, I don't believe what's, what's going on here. They, I think we understand the severity of it. Uh, but I, I don't think we're going to give the government as much slack as before. Are we, John, to say, okay, let's lock everything down if these numbers go up again? Uh, been there, done that. Uh, probably not necessary anymore. We do need to take precautions, but uh, we're going to weigh what the government's saying. We're not going to give them a blank check anymore. Is that a fair assessment?
3: Yeah, I think the, a year ago, you'll recall that the government did a couple of things. Number one, at this stage when cases were rising, they said, "Look, we'll uh, we'll shut everything down after Christmas." And there were a lot of people, a lot of doctors, who said at that time, "Don't do that. Let's shut it down. Let's wait until. Let's not wait till everybody gets together." And so they did. They left the, the stores open because they wanted commerce to take place. They didn't want a backlash. Excuse me, it was only Brian Pallister, in fact, who said, I'll be Scrooge and shut everything down. He paid a big political price for that. But the bottom line was we all went about our business. And in January, there was this great big wave of COVID that went over us. Governments have different tools right now than they did then. Number one is they have a booster. Instead of being January the 4th, they could move everything forward. We could get more into the system. And even if we couldn't, it would give a vote of confidence that they had their fingers on the pulse of what's going on. We have an election coming up. They don't want to hand this to the opposition. They might as well get ahead of it, number two. They have uh, last year's experience. We have an education about what this may be. And what they may be able to do is temper the public saying, look, we, we have to focus on the right numbers here as opposed to these numbers, which are escalating. We haven't heard that yet. But I SUSPECT IN THE NEXT 48 HOURS OR SO, WITH THESE CONSTANT RISING NUMBERS, THE GOVERNMENT WILL PROBABLY HAVE TO COME FORWARD, AND THAT MEANS DR. KIERAN, WHO HOLDS THE reins ON THIS AT THE MOMENT, WILL HAVE TO ANSWER SOME PRETTY CRITICAL QUESTIONS AS TO WHETHER OR NOT THIS IS GOING TO CONTINUE LEADING INTO CHRISTMAS OR WHETHER THEY'RE GOING TO HAVE TO TAKE SOME EXTRA STEPS.
0: AND THAT'S WHAT WE'RE WAITING FOR, ISN'T IT REALLY, JOHN, FOR THE OTHER SHOE TO Mm -hmm. DROP? LIKE, OKAY, JUST HOW ARE YOU GUYS GOING TO RESPOND? And and I can understand the the reticence on behalf of, for instance, the Ford government here in Ontario. Uh, You're right. I mean, next June, they go to the polls. And uh, uh, approval ratings matter a lot to to sitting governments. And, And he's seen the erosion of some of the public support, not necessarily for Doug Ford personally, but for some of these policies. I would imagine they're going to tread lightly here because they really don't want to see another dip in those public opinion polls.
3: Well, and it's also a case where other institutions are taking decisions into their own hands. Uh, And the poll shows that about 3 in 10 um, people across the country are seeing their own workplaces starting to decide upon uh, issues and how to deal with this. We see about 28% of people starting to cancel travel plans. I mean, that's prudent. That's what they want to do. But I I do point to Queen's University who last night announced that all in-class exams are now canceled. They're going back online. Mm -hmm. Um I you know, the day previously, um St. Avex, uh, I happen to I happen to have one one kid at uh, at Queens and another one at uh Dalhousie, so I've been more in tune with their neighborhoods, but Uh, The day before there was a Saint of X issued an apology to the community out there because they had effectively kept everybody in class and in exams last week. And now there's a huge outbreak in Wolfville. Uh, I mean, the institutions are now attuned to this and it's up to them to make a lot of these decisions. So sometimes you're not waiting just for the province or the politicians to do it. You're taking it into your own hands. People themselves are absenting themselves are going about their business, but they're being more cautious. So I, again, we're way ahead of where we were a year ago, and that should provide some lessons to where we're headed. But this this thing is very unpredictable. It's probably something we're gonna have to live with uh, for the rest of you know this generation, perhaps, who knows? But we don't know enough about it to be able to say, aha, there's lots of cases, don't worry about it. I think, again, the numbers we're not concentrating on are those in the ICUs and the hospitals, which in fact, uh, stop service to those who need to get it on regular hospital or medical things. And I, I haven't seen that yet, but that's what I have my, my eye on and not the rising case count per se.
0: And that phrase that you just used there, I think is key as I look over some of the numbers here. Um, Learning to live with it, uh, which doesn't mean be to be dismissive of it. But I mean, the, you know, the one that jumped out here, a uh, couple of the statements that you made to get responses here. I'm staying home more because of the new COVID variant virus, including less uh, shopping trips. Uh, Two thirds of people said no. That's that's not the case at all. Uh, so in other words, yeah, we are going out. You know, I went to the Great Cup yesterday with twenty six thousand people, uh, but we were masked. Or we were all double vaccinated, and you know, there's a, always going to be a risk, I suppose. But we're mitigating the risk and saying, okay, it's time to get on with their lives. I'm going to go to the odd movie. here. I'm going to go to a football game or a hockey game and something like that. That's not the kind of mindset we had a year ago.
3: No, it isn't. And I, you know, I point to Rod Phillips, who's Minister of Long-Term Care, and compare where he is today versus where we were last time. I mean, he's already announced today, the ministry has, that there are, if you're not vaccinated, you don't get in. There's now yeah. screening set in place. I mean, this is prudent, proactive. You can take the debate whether vaccines are appropriate or not offline. That's a whole different issue. But right now, uh, governments and this ministry, which was embroiled in so much difficulty last time, has been ahead of the curve. Mr. Phillips, in fact, defusing the situation by being out almost every day dealing with it and being very transparent. I think, it, you know, turning to the game yesterday, which I hope we talk a little bit about because it was uh, an exciting finish to a year, very disappointing. Um, I, I have um, I have a view on it, but but again on the on the. On the COVID side, it was a juxtaposition to have thousands of fans screaming and yelling and drinking beer and having a great time, and yet have the military standing in a row all with their masks on. It was like again, yeah. there's there's a juxtaposition to rules in our society, which oftentimes speak to a hypocrisy. And I think that uh you know I'm glad that everybody had a chance to be in the in in the stands. I, I would hope, however, that if you know going forward, if this uh, Omicron begins to take over even more infections. That we're going to be a little more prudent in having events of that size. But nonetheless, you noticed yesterday that there was a big difference between what was on the field and off.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and that, by the way, wasn't lost on an awful lot of the people I was talking to at the stadium yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially here in the Hamilton area, as, as you know. A month from now, we're supposed to have a, a World Cup qualifying game. By Canada and the mm-hmm. Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to think there's going to be 25,000 people there too. Uh, you know, we've got an outdoor hockey game. The Leafs and the Sabres are going to play later on uh, late this winter. Uh, you'd like to have capacity crowds for that too, but, uh, you know, are we going to do that or are we simply going to take, you know, throw caution to the wind and say, no, we're over this. Uh, We're over the worst of this. Uh, you're right. Masking still has to be part of this. Uh, the rules and regulations for the military, as you mentioned, are, are well in place. I'm not so sure if if the rest of us are just getting a little fatigued by COVID right now and saying, I'd a hell with it. We're just going to do what we want to do. And, and, you know, whatever happens is going to happen.
3: I want to, yeah and I, I want to speak to the game a little bit because there's a bit of an anecdote of history here that your your listeners won't know but I, I'd want to throw on the table I'm currently sure. the uh, I'm currently the chair of the Royal Canadian Air Force Foundation I've been an honorary colonel and supported the military for many years and I'm actually the honorary colonel to the chief of the defense staff at the moment so I've had lots of fun and, and uh, uh, ability to work with uh, our, our forces but there's a couple of things that I noted to deal with that first of all, in 1935, um, there was a Grey Cup that was played, and it was between Hamilton and Winnipeg. Um, I was in a thrift store downtown Toronto with my daughter and happened to come across a jacket, which is in pristine condition and hanging behind me. It's from one of the guys who won the game in Hamilton that year. And so the first thing was, if you look back in the history of 1935, it was the first time that the West had won the Grey Cup. The Hamilton Tigers were playing in Hamilton. Winnipeg went in and they actually won the game having come out of defeating Saskatchewan. And, and, and that's history and, and that's how it kind of played out yesterday. It's, our, it's incredible to see all of that mapping. It's fair to say though that the Tigers came back uh, a couple of years later and beat the west so there's lots of hope in it if the jacket was right the first time it's probably <laughs> going to be right the second time but the other thing was that in the following year in 19 uh, the following um in 1942 it played out as well and interestingly enough at that time the two teams that played for the great cup were actually rcaf teams during the war yep. uh, regular people couldn't play the game and so the RCAF Winnipeg uh, Bombers played the RCAF Toronto Mustangs for the Grey Cup in 1942, but it was Toronto that beat the 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 uh, the Winnipeg team. So there's lots of future in it. I got to say that I enjoyed the game. I was rooting for the underdog Hamilton Tie Cats yesterday, and as disappointing as it ended for everybody there, it was a thrill. The team, even having lost its quarterback, I thought was incredible. I think there were a lot of Canadians who watched it and just loved every moment of it. Whether or not you were watching Max Verstappen and, and uh, win the Formula One under controversy the, the earlier that day, and you wanted um, Hamilton to win it, or whether or not at the end of the day you wanted Hamilton itself to win the Grey Cup, Man, oh, man, there were two losses, but a lot of respect for both of them with the name Hamilton in it, that's for sure. It was a great game, and, and nobody in Hamilton should be disappointed at, at how their team played.
0: No, exactly. And and to your point, I had this discussion with uh, CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrose yesterday, too. As you mentioned, the strong link uh, between the military and the Canadian Football League, the Blue Bombers, I think the name is, is self-explanatory. Uh, but 45, I think it was. Uh, Hamilton won the Grey Cup, and and that was essentially made up of uh, of uh, guys from the Tiger Squadron, which was uh, stationed at Mount Hope here. Of course, that was a training uh, facility for the uh, the Canadian Forces. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, most of most of the able bodied men were over in Europe, uh, and they said, "Hey, we can play." And uh, and yeah. most of that squad ended up being guys from the Tiger Squadron, which, by the way, is still in existence. It's morphed into the Search and Rescue Unit right now for the Canadian Forces. But uh, there's a proud history there too. Uh, and that's that's something I, you're absolutely right, John, that we need to keep, uh, I think, focused on uh, about those links and uh, and going forward on that. Fascinating conversation. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for this today.
3: Thanks. And uh, we'll see you next year in the Grey Cup. That's for sure.
0: You betcha. One way or another, I guess. Thanks, John. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, uh, with their attitudes about what's happening with COVID and a little football. I mean, it's the day after the Grey Cup. Of course, we will always intersperse a little bit of that conversation. <laughs>